politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for everything that matters in the way it matters at the time it matters. Just like it is 1776 all over again, except it is much worse this time. Here at CR Podcast, this is your host, Daniel Horowitz. Back here today for Tuesday, another dreary day here. I don't mean the weather. I mean politically. Because, you see, in 1776, we did not have this subversion within. We talked a lot last week about preventing America from becoming like Europe. We already are like Europe. We have let the problem into our country. The big bad wolf, you know, uh, every kid learns the story of the three little pigs. They understand the danger in opening the door to a wolf. But we, we open the door. The only thing we can do now, and I'm going to keep beating the drum, the two things we can do is, number one, create these enclaves locally in certain parts of the country where we could still kind of keep it out or minimize it, the subversion. And number two, create these sort of ad hoc citizens patrols that are sanctioned by county law enforcement. So I want to talk about number two a little bit down the road. We talked about it last week, but go back to number one, how to empower states. We got to empower a few states to keep the garbage out, whether it's garbage legal immigration, garbage illegal immigration. We're going to have the Attorney General of Florida, Ashley Moody, coming up a little bit later. Um, But I first want to kind of go back to a little bit of yesterday's news with the budget fight and everything happening there, which, by the way, is emblematic of how we have the immigration problems, too. We have the immigration problems for the same reason you have the budget and inflation and debt problems, because Republicans will not, A, harness public megaphones, right, and public brinkmanship moments to make our case, just rhetorically even, and then, B, certainly mechanically, they won't use those strategic leverage points. But first, our sponsor today is our friends at QP Goat Soap. As I'm in a bad mood, this is something that puts me in a good mood. There's nothing like a warm shower with the creamy goat milk soap of QP Goat Soap. It is made by our friend Quinn Pittman, 16-year-old entrepreneur, Christian homeschooling kid from Volusia County, Florida. They now have all sorts of products growing their product lines ahead of Christmas and They're offering, if you go to qpgoatsoap.com, put in promo code Daniel, you get 10% off everything. What does that mean? Free shipping over 30 bucks, and for less than $100, you can get their all four seasons of different scents of soap. Um, See, the problem is most other soaps don't have natural oils in them. They dry out your skin. I got a big problem with my skin on my face. You know, Before I do TV, I always have this dry skin I got to deal with. Uh, whenever I'm in the makeup room, the few times I am brought on Fox News or something like that, uh, they always uh, have to deal with that. So, you know, with QP Goat Soap, it's getting a lot better, and I think you're going to find that as well, that you're going to support something that supports your values. And everyone is emailing me back in who has gotten this and said it's just just a terrific product. It's worth the price. Again, a special deal, promo code Daniel at QPGoatSoap.com. So, folks, look, 
where do we start? Where do we even start here? They are now about to pass this budget bill that gives Democrats everything they want with unanimous Democrat support. Democrats are completely supporting it. Progressive caucus chair Pramila Jaypal calls it a very big win. That's a direct quote that the CR is at FY 2023 funding levels. Obviously, nothing on the border, nothing on any issue that matters. And they're going to pass it with Democrat support. Now, you might say, wait, didn't we get rid of McCarthy because of that? Isn't that what we've been doing for years? When they have all three branches, two, one, they do the same thing. When it comes to the issue that matters and the way it matters, they pass it with more Democrat support than Republican support. So what was the purpose of this entire fight? Well, the purpose was about personalities and reactionary politics, as I warned. And now you get someone that everyone's giving him rope. Let me read to you Politico Playbook, which I think is a perfect description of what is happening and what we've accomplished swapping out McCarthy rather than going with Chip Roy's strategy. There's no sugarcoating this for Johnson. Speaker Johnson, this is Politico. This plan is going to disappoint many of his members and the base. It already has, and the optics aren't exactly great. His first major legislative accomplishment signed into law will be extending funding priorities favored by Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, a package that will in all likelihood be supported by more Democrats and Republicans. Lucky for Johnson, many of the same conservatives who groused about McCarthy's CR don't feel the same animosity toward him. Boy, did I warn about this. While the two situations have some superficial resemblance, the reality is that McCarthy has long been seen by his critics as someone who couldn't keep his word. Johnson doesn't have that baggage, at least not yet. Representative Eli Crane, who was among those who ousted McCarthy, put it this way to CNN's Manure Jew, at least Johnson doesn't lie to us. Yeah, you're right. He says straight up he's not going to fight for you. So what Johnson is doing now is he's saying everything is about a debt commission. And I warned you that this would replace substance. Oh, here's a debt commission. Really excited about it, too. Johnson gave an interview with CNBC Squawk Box earlier today. And here's what he had to say about... um, about the innovation of what he's doing with the budget bill. Take a listen. This has been the habit here for for decades now, for a long time, as long as I've been in Congress and before, where the Senate jams the House right before the Christmas holiday with a giant bill that's thousands of pages long that very few people have read and spends, you know, last year $1.7 trillion, adding $100 billion in new spending, just sprinkling that on top. That is no way to run a railroad. And so this innovation, this laddered CR that we're doing, prevents that from happening. And I think we'll have bipartisan agreement that that is a better way to do it, to have the actual appropriations process. I began that immediately after I got the gavel, but here we are on the eve of November 17th. Uh, We have a shutdown looming, and we've got to prevent that because that would do even more harm for the economy. Okay, so folks, you heard that. A couple things there. It's innovative. It's a better way of doing it. Yeah, better way to capitulate. And then at the end, if you notice he's stuck in there, we have to prevent a shutdown. It will do even more harm to our economy if we have a shutdown than allowing over a trillion in interest on the debt in one year, spiraling of inflation, spiraling of insolvency, and of course the border and everything else, the targeting of political opponents. 
Biden's Hamas policies. They're not even fighting. Biden's about to give $10 billion to Iran and sanction relief, pressuring Israel and Hezbollah. Even those issues where Republicans rhetorically claim to be good on, they won't fight for. Folks, it's all about that one line. Once you say that you are more scared of a government shutdown, not just scared of it politically, but that you think in all earnest that it's going to be worse. And I think Johnson, you know, they're right. He doesn't lie. He does it. He he rapes them out in the open. He genuinely believes that the worst thing out of everything we're living through is a partial federal government slowdown when you have tens of thousands of local governments that will continue to operate. This is what we swapped out. What a bunch of clowns. But fear not, it is all good. Because the one thing he was very strong and definitive about is his support for Mitzah Trump. So it's all good. Same interview on Squawk Box. Here's what he had to say about that. President Biden, he might he it looks like the candidate in, in 2024. When you were uh, a name speaker, a lot of people said, oh, Trump ally, Trump, big Trump guy, big Trump ally. But uh, you, you, as far as I know, you have not endorsed the former president yet uh, for 2024. And this is everybody's watching this show right now. This if you're going to do that, this would be a great, great time to do it. Uh, uh, Mr. Speaker, you ready? I, ha- I have done it. Yeah, I, I have. I have endorsed him wholeheartedly. Um, look, I was uh, one of the closest allies that President Trump had in Congress. He had a phenomenal first term. Those first two years, as you all know, we brought about the greatest economic numbers in the history of the world, not just the country, because his policies worked. And I'm, I'm all in for President Trump. I, okay, yeah, I, know, I expect right. he'll be our nominee. Yeah. And, and he's going to win it. And we have to make Biden a one-term president. We have to do that. All right, folks. So you hear that? The, the first two years were awesome. By the way, can I, can I just talk about this a minute? If you have a new president for the first six months, the economy is good. Isn't that really the previous president? Again, it's not the president. It's the business cycle. But, I mean, Reagan, the economy was horrible his first few years in office because that was the stagflation he was dealing with. It takes There's a lag effect. It's just so weird. Meaning, if you had the best president in the world take over right now, the first year or so would not be good no matter what policies you put into place. Whether it's the Federal Reserve, whether it's you know fiscal stuff in Congress. But whoop-de-doo, this is what we have swapped out. It's all good. It's all good. It's all vanity. It's Ecclesiastes. That's what we're living in. By the way, the Congressional Leadership Fund and American Action Network, the House GOP leadership linked to outside groups, they brought in $16 million in 10 days since Johnson started raising money. The point is, what I'm trying to bring out is it's not about Johnson, McCarthy, this or that. They're all owned by the same people, and they're all going to act the same way. So it's the same logjam where the majority of Republicans don't want to get caught voting for a bad budget bill. But leadership is always going to push it because that's what the donors always want. And a good number of those rank and file don't really want to fight it. They just don't want to personally be caught voting no. So we're going to have the same thing. More Democrats than Republicans will support it, and it will be all good. But here is the point. They're all saying that we're going to give him rope. Oh, you know, we had the speaker's fight. He's coming in middle. They're missing a point. It's not like he's saying, look, 
Let's get the budget bills done and I'll fight for them. He's saying we can't have a government shutdown. It has nothing to do with Christmas. It has nothing to do with how many bills are packaged in one. I'm sick of hearing that. This is classic GOP. Oh my gosh, it's an innovative thing. We're not going to have a Christmas thing jamming the Republicans. Okay, you'll have a January thing jamming Republicans. You understand, it only changes if there's a reason you're going to fight later on. But he's saying that, A, he doesn't want to shut down, and a shutdown will be a disastrous, not just politically, but from a policy and economic standpoint. So you're done. What, you think something magically happens once the House passes all 12 appropriate bills? Okay, the House passes all 12 appropriate bills. By the way, we can't even get good bills passed, but let's just say we do. And then the Senate balks at it. So now what? Now what? You have to be willing to stand your ground and telegraph the message that you care more about standing behind your bills and not giving it to the Senate bills than a government shutdown. But Johnson already let the cat out of the bag. I said at the time, I've been saying all year, I said, I don't care who's speaker, the, the culture, the process, how much he reads the Bible. It boils down to one thing, and that is the budget bill. And the budget bill itself boils down to one thing, and that is, do you fear a government shutdown or not? So on that front, Johnson's even worse than McCarthy. And then we have less leverage than we've had before. Anyway, I'm just so pissed off, but but we have our, our debt commission. Anyway, I want to get back to the main theme today of red states trying to prevent at least their states from becoming like Europe. Um, first, our next sponsor today is, uh, I might not be able to clean the gunk out of the Republican Party. It's irremediably broken, but you could clean the gunk out of your gun. Um, I just had my oldest son. You know, he's been begging me. He wants to clean a gun, so I allowed him to clean, courtesy of Barrel Buddy, three of my handguns on Sunday. Uh, a couple of them I fired a lot of rounds recently. Um, boy, have I spent a, a ton of money <laughs> recently on guns um, and ammo. But anyway, this is not a lot of money. It's 15 bucks for 50 cartridges. Barrel Buddy is a novel idea. A round peg that goes in a round hole. Your, your uh, barrel... It doesn't splatter, it doesn't drip, and it doesn't leave the lint. See, the problem is you want to clean uh, – I used to use these uh, the cloths. But then when you want to clean all the stuff on the rails of the gun, the metallic parts, it gets hooked on and you see these tiny fibers, and that's not good. Um, there's something about the material of these cartridges that they're flexible but also firm. So they don't you know, get cut up on those uh, – Metallic parts that you need to clean. It's perfect. Again, go to BarrelBuddy.com today. Support one of our own Blaze listeners, three of them from Michigan, BarrelBuddy.com today. So, folks, so we had last night eight Republicans killed the impeachment effort against Mayorkas. So even after something like that, still we can't have nice things. Two of them were committee chairs. Virginia Fox, Education Committee Chair, and uh, Patrick McHenry, who was just Speaker Pro Temp, he's chairman of financial services. So two committee chairs couldn't even vote for impeachment of Mayorkas. So there you go with that. So we have an open border. Now, something interesting happened yesterday in the UK. UK PM Sunak, remember he's a Tory, 
but a leftist. He fired the one good person in his cabinet, this Suella Braverman. Um, she called pal- pro-Palestinian protests hate marches. Her husband is Jewish, but more importantly, she's the only conservative in the actual government. And, you know, she accused the police of adopting double standards and treatment of different uh, protests this and that. A couple months ago, she warned about what Brit- Britain has had become. Take a listen right here. Immigration, inadequate integration, and a misguided dogma of multiculturalism have proven a toxic combination for Europe over the last few decades. I'm not the first to point this out. In 2010, Angela Merkel gave a speech in which she acknowledged that multiculturalism had utterly failed. And then French President Nicolas Sarkozy and British Prime Minister David Cameron echoed similar sentiments shortly thereafter. Multiculturalism makes no demands of the incomer to integrate. It has failed because it allowed people to come to our society and live parallel lives in it. They could be in the society, but not of the society. And in extreme cases, they could pursue lives aimed at undermining the stability and threatening the security of our society. We are living with the consequence of that failure today. You can see it play out in the streets all over Europe, from Malmo to Paris, Brussels to Leicester, It is 13 years since Merkel gave her speech, and I'm not sure that very much has changed since. If people are not able to settle in our countries and start to think of themselves as British, American, French or German, then something is going badly wrong. National identity is not something invented in an ivory tower or by advertising executives. The nation state has endured because it means something real to almost all of us. And that is true the world over. Given how much it matters, it must be protected. Okay, folks. We, we, we barely could find people in America talking like that. You have Ron DeSantis. But the dogma of multiculturalism makes no demands on the incomers to integrate. On the incomers to integrate. And that is at its core the problem we are facing today. That point. That point, there is nowhere to run or hide from that observation. And we need to prevent ourselves from doing this. Um, you know, where where is this? I just need to find this a second. Okay, no, I'm just looking at my stack of stuff here. Um, this is from IsraelNationalNews.com. Body of peace activist Vivian Silver identified among those massacred. And basically there was this Israeli, Canadian-Israeli woman um, who lived there. And it took a month for them to identify her body because it was so mangled and charred and whatever. That's what happened to this woman. Who was this woman? And again, I don't say this to make fun out of her or anything. I say it to learn a lesson. Um, she founded the Women Rage, Women Wage Peace movement 
and the Arab Jewish Center for Empowerment, Equality, and Cooperation as part of the Negev Institute for Strategic Peace and Economic Development, an Arab Jewish Organization for Social Change. She was on the board of B'Tselem um, and the volunteer Road to Recovery, accompanying cancer patients from Gaza to Israeli hospitals. She was a widow. She was in her 70s. Um, so in other words, she, she is as big of a left-wing activist as you can ever get. And she lived her life for the betterment of Arabs, you know, healthcare, everything. And she was rewarded for her life's work. She was in her 70s by her body being so charred and destroyed that they could, it took a month to find her DNA. In other words, they, they thought she was among the kidnapped because she was missing, and, and then they realized she wasn't kidnapped. She was butchered in, in the most unspeakable way. That story is a metaphor for the West. We have let these people in. We have bled for them. We have spent on them. Um, you know, we have uh, the, 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 the House Judiciary Committee, I believe, um, just put out a, or no, I'm sorry, House Homeland Security Committee put out a report that Americans could pay up to $451 billion in the care of the, just caring for the people brought in by Biden. Every day, millions of American taxpayer dollars are spent on costs directly associated with illegal immigration. This is the, um, you know, holding them in the facilities medical care, housing, education, other welfare benefits. And uh, is put out by committee chairman Mark Green. So this is what we're doing. And none of it's going to be shut down. None of it is going to be shut down. We're going to continue funding this. Next story. Bringing the two together. Bringing it all. This kind of like brings it all together. This is from a talk show host on KNST, 790 AM in Arizona, Garrett Lewis. Illegals housed at the Drexel Complex in Pima County have hung a Palestinian flag in the middle of the shelter. Pima County Catholic Community Services encourage the illegals to do this. Every supervisor needs to be asked about this to be on the record. This is from a source. So he's he's reporting this. The single males are housed in a large warehouse on Drexel and are primarily from northern Africa. Starting this week, we've had an influx of Syrians and Afghans. Today, they were allowed to hang a Palestinian flag in the middle of the building. Pima County and Catholic Community Services of Southern Arizona, who run the entire immigration program, are encouraging this. Um, and most of them are males between the age of 18 and 35 from North Africa and the Middle East. So exactly that European dynamic that you're seeing, where you have hundreds of thousands rampaging in the streets, uh, promoting Hamas and that sort of crap, and then attacking Jews, Jews can't live openly as Jewish in Europe, that is what we are letting in the country and paying for. We pay for the ropes to hang ourselves and based on what was done to that woman and other people in Israel, I think that would be the better outcome to be hung by these people. They now have more innovative ways of torturing and butchering people that spend their lives paying to help them subvert us. And and this is what we have. I, I want you guys, again, you know, when we talk about contrasting what we're up against now versus um, 1776, 
So, well, this is about 24 years later during George Washington's farewell address. He makes an observation about the country, the nascent country that he just led, and he's handing off, and he says, for this you have every inducement of sympathy and interest. Meaning the following thing he's going to say. Citizens by birth or choice of a common country, that country has a right to concentrate your affections. The name of American which belongs to you in your national capacity must always exalt the just pride of patriotism more than any appellation derived from local discriminations. With slight shades of difference, you have the same religion, manners, habits, and political principles. You have in a common cause fought and triumphed together. The independence and liberty you possess are the work of joint councils and joint efforts of common danger, sufferings, and successes. Notice he notice his observation. People don't like to talk about that. He noticed with slight shades, you're basically the same people. You and by the way, they were talking about you know maybe divergent Europeans. He never could have envisioned these Allah chanting nutcases that we let in. And by the way, he was saying that you have to have national pride. You can't have local discriminations. Now, I would argue, because we have national balkanization, the only thing to combat that is local discriminations of creating red enclaves to try to just combat this. And that's where I want to get to our next guest. So, folks, as we watch the dysfunction and the uniparty at a federal level, it's clear nothing is being redressed on the debt, nothing is being redressed on the border, and certainly nothing is being redressed on so-called legal immigration, that just because we let people in legally doesn't mean it was a good idea. And that leaves it to the states to really take the the mantle and, and pick up that common cause that George Washington talked about that we just talked about the need to create a common cause in red states to provide this bulwark against a European-style subversion. We just cannot have this. We cannot have illegal immigration. We can't have bringing in the Middle East in mass. We cannot have subversion brought into this country, and certainly hatred, anti-Semitism. Now, obviously, we have the First Amendment. we got to be careful because... It's censorship, censorship has certainly been used against us, uh, whether it's the vaccine stuff, whether it's election stuff, whether it's anything. But at the same time, there is no affirmative right to immigrate. So while you can't lock someone up for saying something hateful, you can tell people goodbye. You, you, you're no longer wanted here. And we have on the line today a special guest, Florida Attorney General Ashley Moody, who has taken up the mantle to lead a fight to allow states to actually start enforcing existing law, believe it or not. It's not some sort of new draconian law. We have never allowed people to remain in the country and support communism, Nazism, terrorism. In 8 U.S.C. 1182, we've had for many years, as part of the INA, a lot of laws excluding people from coming with such views and certainly making them deportable if they have not naturalized as citizens. So she has led this effort and is broadly trying to build a consensus on state pushback against the invasion at the border. What can states do? What do states need to do? So with us today is 
one of the great cabinet members, by the way, we talk a lot about Governor DeSantis here, but there's a great cabinet there, and Ashley Moody is part of that. Hey, Ashley, thanks so much for joining us for the first time here at Blaze Media. Oh, yes. Great to be with you and such an important topic, not just to, you know, the state of Florida, but as you said it, so much of what we are tackling right now is essential to the continuity and stability and security of our nation as a whole. And so I'm so glad that you have focused on this and are dedicating this show to that. It's so important to all of us as Americans. Sure. So, uh, you know, one of the things that shocked us all was that Throughout the years, we've seen these massive, massive uh, demonstrations in Europe every time something uh, heats up in in Israel, and we always thought to ourselves, wow, I'm sure glad we live here and, uh, you know, have a large pond in between and don't have to deal with that. But then over time, it started to really increase. And I just saw the numbers we have uh, for the 2022-2023 school year, over a million, about a million fifty-seven thousand hundred eighty-eight international students, and a lot of them are from China and India. And China obviously poses its own concerns, but we do have, from my count, roughly back of the envelope, about a hundred thousand every year from the Middle East and North Africa. Needless to say, a lot of these people don't exactly like Jews and don't exactly like America, but they'll use, you know, the opportunity to come here uh, and get an education. What is your vision for what education should look like in University of Florida system vis-a-vis values and anti-Semitism? You, you know, you're seeing these, I'm going to call them protests, but we know that that line gets crossed every time there is one of these uh, demonstrations. Uh, and, and in Florida, we've taken a very hard line on, you know, we respect fiercely respect the right to free speech. But if that crosses the line into violent intimidation, creating a hostile environment uh, to other students and our Jewish students, uh, we're not going to tolerate that here. And that's why you haven't seen the same um, issues and problems uh, that you have around the rest of the nation in our university systems. We've also reminded our university police chiefs, I, as the attorney general, have said there will be zero tolerance for any violation of our laws. And we need to make that clear and speak out on that immediately. We've always seen um, success with that prior to now when we are, we say right ahead, Florida is a law and order state. What you may be able to get away with in Portland, you cannot get away with in Orlando. So let's, you know, let's all make sure that we understand that in Florida, we enforce the law. And this is where it's going wrong in the United States and really worldwide. I mean, we, the, the Immigration and Nationality Act specifically presi- pro- provides that if anybody's here on a visa of a student or otherwise, and you're endorsing or espousing terrorist activity or supporting terrorist organizations, that's illegal. And, you know, our university systems need to say, we follow the law. We're going to yank you right out of here. We're going to report you. We hope they pull your visa and, you're, and you can no longer be here legally. You know, following the law should not be... Uh, something that is, you know, a choice. We we all agreed when the states decided we'd be part of this United States of America. The agreement was we'd all live collectively under a rule of law. The federal government under Biden has just broken that agreement flagrantly over and over. And states are going to have to step up and demand that they do what they said they'd do over 200 years ago when we started this great experience, experiment 
live up to your side of the bargain. We're living under a rule of law. It's got to be enforced. And that's the only way we're going to have a safe and secure and strong nation. So, so you've written a letter to the feds on this point. Again, when the governor first started talking about this, some people thought it was a novel idea. Man, you, you deport people for having hateful views. But there's nothing novel. As you said, it says in the INA, any alien who endorses or espouses terrorist activity or persuades others to endorse it, um, they are ineligible for a visa and, and therefore they're deportable. Again, it's not a punishment, as the Supreme Court has said since the 1890s. Uh, removal is just a consequence. It's not like we're locking you up. You're free to live your life, support jihad in you know, your country of origin. But if you're not a citizen, you don't have a right to be here. So talk about that effort to try to um, grow the support with other state AGs uh, to pressure the Biden administration on this issue. Yeah, I mean, you know, we have uh, demanded that the Biden administration, at a minimum, follow the law. And, and let me just say, you were saying earlier, um, you said legally be here. You know, the Biden administration, what they have done and what I, what I you know, I compliment all of these kind of radical activists that want to kind of upend and create chaos and disorder. They'll call something legal when it is clearly blatantly not like just for example the cbp1 app that they yeah. created just last month in one month they have brought over 44,000 additional people that's on top of the almost 250,000 people in one month that they've come in and i'm sure that most have been mass released they've brought them over on an app at taxpayer expense this is 44,000 more people which they have deemed is a lawful pathway you know, we're arguing that certainly that it is not lawful in court. Um, we're already at a crisis. They're, they're, when we're in the middle of a crisis and people are flooding over, including those on the terrorist watch list, they're busy trying to build new programs that have no basis in law to bring even more people over that we can't already vet the ones that we're finding at the border. It is astounding. And I think states have to. And you're going to find that the Dem states are not going to have a choice. They're going to have to come along and, and yeah. join us to some extent. We have to demand that they live up what they assured us so many years ago that they would do. And that is that we would live under the rule of law, that Congress would dictate the law. And most of what Biden is doing and his and Mayorkas and that administration is illegal. I mean, we've taken them to court and won. We've you know held had a federal judge come out and say they've eviscerated the border. It's nothing more than a line in the sand. I mean, we win these battles, but what has become clear is so, that Florida can win a battle in a courtroom, but it will not move the needle unless Congress, you know, makes clear, send, you know, shut the border, close it off, get this under control. Because what Biden's doing is he's just asking for money, more money to process more and more people into the country. So you're That's getting to the crux. You're getting to the crux of the matter, which is, I mean, something we've we've pushed for a long time. It was Scalia's vision that ultimately the only way to disincentivize the incentives and in invitations of the feds is to have the states disincentivize them. And really the states need to get into enforcement. I mean, even if you shut down the border tomorrow, which obviously they're not going to do, um, just the sheer volume that has been brought in, the gangs, the criminals, um, the subversive elements, just the, the, the cost alone. Uh, the House Homeland Security Committee just came out with a report yesterday. The, the estimate will cost about $450 billion. And as you well know, um, 
in the past, most estimates show two-thirds to three-quarters of that is shouldered by state and local communities. So um, I want to get your comment on this. In, in Arizona v. U.S. in 2012, Justice Scalia asked during um, oral arguments, what does sovereignty mean if it does not include the ability to defend your borders? He's talking about state borders. And then in his partial dissent, he wrote, are the sovereign states at the mercy of the federal executive's refusal to enforce the nation's immigration laws? A good way of answering that question is to ask, would the states conceivably have entered into the union if the Constitution itself constrained, uh, contained the court's holding? Yeah, and I always go back to that, right? Like this, the, the states ceded over a very, very limited powers to the federal government, reserving everything else to the states. And that's whole, that is so important to the, our union and, and this, this collective agreement to be within the United States of America. And that's why I've just led, and you might have seen that uh, just yesterday, I led a coalition of 26 states asking, demanding that the new Speaker Johnson take up a, a legislation that would give the state mm. the ability to enforce immigration law when we have a disaster for a president and administration like we have now where they're just not doing it. Not only are they not doing it, they're finding new ways to spend taxpayer money and upend the law and, and the immigration system. And so 26 AGs have said, look, if we tell you we'll do this, we'll dedicate our own resources, we will do your job for you, you should give us that authority. Something as simple as when they came in and said, look, we don't have enough resources to deport the people here in the United States illegally that are committing felonies, serious felonies, against our citizens. We're not going to do that anymore. They released detainers. They told the sheriffs they had to release these people back into the states. Of course, we sued on that. But at a minimum, if we wanted to say in Florida, we want to deport those people that are breaking yes. into people's homes, that are trafficking heroin, you should let us do that, spend our resources so that we can secure our state. If other states don't want to do that, fine. But we should be able to do that, and you should give us the ability and the and the, le the, the legal right to do that. I call this calling their bluff. They say the border's out of control because we don't have enough resources. I, I would argue with you and show you that is not true. They have asked for yeah. less and less ability to detain people. I could do that all day long. But if that's the case, we'll step up. We'll commit our resources. This is what I call calling their bluff. This is why I love when Texas built that floating buoy barrier, which was actually pretty effective. And when they saw that it was effective, what did Biden do? Not say, thank you. We don't have enough resources. This is great. You're committing your own resources. They sued Texas. Because they, they wanted them, which, which shows their true colors. They, this is not about resources for them. That's a narrative for them. So This is about them wanting to open up our country and make it less safe. So I call this legislation calling their bluff. And I think even Democrat states should push Speaker Johnson to get this passed. Yes. And, and I, I have made the point before that the same political capital Republicans will have to expend really on a budget brinkmanship, which unfortunately they're demonstrating they don't have much of an appetite for, to pass H.R. 2, which we all agree with, to end catch and release. I think more effective is letting the states do it. Because like you noted, you know, we only have... We definitely have the resources to secure the border, but the problem is, uh, once we let in all these people, we only have about five, six thousand ERO, uh, you know, removal officers. That's about a fraction of the size of the NYPD. 
you need the states to begin doing this. And I want to give a vivid example, get your comments on it. In Florida, the Daily Mail did a pretty um, riveting expose on Venezuelan gangs in places like Miami. Um, and these are not the old Venezuelan communities. These are the ones that Maduro recently sent over, uh, let out the prisons of very violent people. And not only is it dangerous for all Floridians and Americans, but now some of the immigrant communities, they're living under the same security threat from which they, they tried to emigrate because they make them pay extortion and taxes, um, you know, these extortion payments. They come around and control neighborhoods. So, you know, obviously when it comes to domestic law enforcement, there's a whole a bunch of due process. And even if you lock the guy up, eventually they get let out and you have to deal with the recidivism. But when it comes to a foreign criminal, you guys should have the authority to complete the cycle of law enforcement all in one. Hey, if you're a known Venezuelan gangbanger that's causing problems in Miami, wouldn't you want to have that tool as AG to just get them out of here? Exactly. And I don't think most Americans even know that within the first two months of, of coming into office, Biden and then his administration said, we're going to just stop deporting felony you know offenders that are here illegally they're just going to be going back into your communities by the way i don't think people even realize that and this is where and i'm so glad you pointed this out and this is where it goes so very wrong when you put these people in power that have this you know fantasy land approach to you know we should welcome everyone we should be able to take care of everyone and no matter what they say or do or what risk they present we're all going to make this work and it's going to be fabulous well this is what's happened in europe right like they are now facing true risks like they never have before in america we're now facing that the fbi director just came out two weeks ago and said as a result of uh, this surges at the border. We know this by internal memos that we uncovered as well. Foreign fighters may be coming across. Yep. There is now a presented risk to Americans like we've never seen. And at, on a microcosm level, you see this in criminal justice reform. Like, look, all of these things that people say in terms of, obviously, we all want equality and fairness and respect for others in our criminal justice system. Obviously, we should be trying to improve our criminal justice system every day to that end. But what these leaders have done, these radical leaders who have no business ever leading anything, is they have jeopardized the safety of communities yes. in the name of some fantasy land ideal, which Again, there's good intentions that started that discussion off, but it, it has been hijacked by this need to upend and create yes. chaos and danger. And, and so you see that happening in large cities like New York and Chicago and Los Angeles, where they've just hijacked the criminal justice system in the name of achieving some ideal when really it's put the very communities they profess to protect at risk. And that is what is happening. The same thing is happening in the immigration arena. I love how you compare the two. It, it comes from that same mentality. And you'd be surprised. A lot of Republicans have bought into both, and particularly on the crime issue. I never understood it. And the tragic irony is it's not like we benefit from the overcriminalization reform that never that never took place in return for letting out gangbangers and drug traffickers with the First Step Act, which, by the way, the Republican Commerce, Justice, Science, Appropriation Bill does 
have funding for it and the Second Chance Act as well of 2007, which should be repealed in my view. But the point is, Attorney General, here that you know you now have in cities like New York where the two are mixing together. So you now have people brought in from the border that are committing multiple crimes and they're let out with no bail. So the two policies are mixing. And, uh, you know, I appreciate that. They are absolutely, they are, they are now, it is almost like they have met in the middle, like the, the, the two sides of bad policy armies have met in the middle and they're like taking over like stability at law abiding citizen needs. I mean, it is astounding to watch. So you see the state of emergency that's been declared in Massachusetts by the governor because of what's happening. You're seeing the mayor of New York City pretty much like throwing his hands up and saying this is untenable. And that is, you nailed it. That is the culmination, the coming together of bad policy after bad policy after reckless um, approach to criminal justice and immigration. These people that are in charge right now, Biden and all of them that are handling him or trying to accomplish some radical agenda as it relates to criminal justice and immigration, they don't think through long-term consequences and they're hurting the people that they say every day they're trying to help. It is a facade. It is fraud on the American public. And I have, as attorney general, been trying to call this out from day one, both in a court of law where a judge can make those findings a fact And in the public narrative, because I fear many times that they control that narrative. And unless folks like us that know the facts, that see the long-term consequences speak out, we will lose that narrative battle. And that, that will be the, the, the spiral downward of this country. That's why I'm so grateful for you and others like you. And and, and the narrative, you're absolutely right about the narrative. The narrative is tolerating the intolerant under the guise of tolerance. So you see it with bringing in the Middle East and then you bring in in anti-Semitism. And you see it with bringing in Venezuelan gangs, MS-13 in Central America. We have it closer to where I live in Montgomery, PG County, Maryland, where again, you have that same dynamic. The Washington Post reported on this, where you have this local extortion ring. They'll go around and intimidate. Some of them are illegal. Some of them are here illegally. But they're they're living the same experience uh, from which they fled. So you're you're doing nobody any good. Um, before I let you go, I just want to get get a sense of what you think is achievable in the courts on some of these phantom um, programs. So one of the ones that I think is important, you're talking about foreign students, and some are decent, some are great, some are problematic. I think in general, you know. We have too many. It's, it's fine to have foreign exchange, but over a million, it just changes the nature of our universities. Um, a lot of it's being done for money. But then there's this pipeline from foreign students to foreign workers. And uh, you might be aware of it. And, and this is not Biden. This was created about oh, 15, 20 years ago, this OPT program, where they allow them to then get jobs, which is not part of a worker visa. It's, it's a of uh, outflow from the F1 visas, and there's uh, a Center for Immigration Studies just reporting that they figured out there's a billion dollar tax incentive because they don't have to pay them payroll taxes, so they're naturally inclined to hire them over Americans. Is there any way to sue that? Because because that is not in statute; it was made up. Well, you are identifying one of many ways uh, Biden has systematically since taking office. And again, I don't know how much of this is Biden or the people that are running uh, the White House right now, but they are they will find these 
what you call phantom programs and other ways that these agencies have just created something and deemed it lawful. And we're coming full circle to how we started when I talked to you about this, what they deem lawful program to bring hundreds of thousands of people here over a year directly without crossing a border. You know, they just develop these programs and they call, they deem them lawful when there's no basis in federal law. You know, we are a country that agreed to give over to a government to represent us so that we could run ourselves and that Congress, our representatives, passes laws. We did not agree to have agencies take those, find wedges, explode them, deem things lawful that were never even envisioned and, and, and run the country. And what happens is they start using these, injecting these radical ideas. In many ways, they are dangerous for the continuity of this country. And, and then we're left to try and find them out and discover them. And then when they're brought to light, then sue on them. I mean, this should not, our country's survival should not rest on us uncovering secret programs and AGs having to sue on them. I mean, that is exactly that is dangerous. I mean, so I mean thank that, you that for is pointing why a hundred percent of our political capital needs to be put into into empowering states to just you know look if New York and San Francisco wants to have two hundred thousand person Hamas rallies every year then then keep it up but but I think you you need to have that prerogative to protect your state. I applaud you for doing it. One last point here. Um, to revisit something, again, that's a little bit old, but I think it's time to revisit. There is this broad perception that we have a better uh, representation on the Supreme Court, better understanding of federalism, um, especially, you know, people like Neil Gorsuch understand federalism that we didn't have on the court in the 2012 Arizona decision in the Plyler v. Doe decision in the 80s. Do you have any irons in the fire or, you know, attempt or a plan to try to challenge Plyler v. Doe on education and some of these other things, because as you well know, it's like you said, it's not a resource problem when it comes to legal immigration. It's an incentive problem. You invite them, they come. You say you have no benefits in a state. They won't come, at least that state. Is there any way to revisit those decisions and, and kind of do what we did with, um, with, with Roe v. Wade to set up a direct challenge to overturn those cases? Well, let me just give you an example. In Florida, I have, you know, filed suit in terms of some of the accreditation of our universities being delegated out to these non-governmental um, agencies who are demanding certain things of our, our universities in order to be accredited. I mean, when some of our accredited, when some of our universities even made noises that they might want to hire someone that might be considered conservative or you know, they threatened our accreditation. I could give you numerous examples of that, right? I mean, the fact that we are letting the federal government through this accreditation, uh, you know, dictate who we're putting in leadership in our universities or what we're, what our requirements are within our universities, it's pretty scary. And so Florida has led an action. We're suing on that. Uh, we don't believe they should be able to do that. We believe the state should be able to, you know, control you know, who is leading our universities and what the accreditation standards should be. I mean, we have the right to governor, govern our education system. And so, you know, we'll see how that goes. I'm, I'm very excited about that. I think people around the nation are watching uh, whether we will be successful there. But I think, again, I'm going to go back to your word and what people refer to as these 
phantom programs. I would also say there are out there these phantom delegations nationwide mm. to to non what I will say nonpartisan. If you could see me right now, I'm doing air quotes. Nonpartisan nonprofits that are injecting, um, you know, just radical approaches. Um, it, it's taking the government of the people, by the people, for the people, out of the equation. We're, we're, we're delegating to these folks, and they have a lot of power within the states. And until the states wake up and realize this is happening and push back and demand, as our agreement, to be a part of the United States of America, this is what we, what we signed up for. These are our powers. We, want, we, we demand to take these back. You know, at the, the federal government is in breach of that original agreement. And so I'll keep you posted on that action. It's a, it's a very exciting action in terms of taking back the power of the states to dictate our educational system. But you're going to see this everywhere. I mean, we have the ABA, for example, the American Bar Association, that is, you know, has policy after policy after policy that is, is extraordinarily left. It has gone so left. And those folks are in charge of whether our law schools are accredited in many instances. Is, is there a way in Florida you could create a parallel to the ABA? Because this, this has become a huge problem now that I, I found we had trouble getting people lawyers, whether they were January 6th defendants who literally did nothing but maybe borderline misdemeanors, and then, and then uh, people who were uh, you know, arrested by state officials for keeping their businesses open during COVID. They couldn't get legal representation you know, you could defend a mass murderer, but you couldn't defend people like that because the ABA would come after them. And we're seeing this as a big problem with them controlling the legal profession. Is there a way to create a parallel in Florida? Well, I can tell you in the last decade, it has astounded me um, the direction in which uh, that organization has has gone and, and what they're doing. In fact, uh, in our state, we had Governor DeSantis remove a prosecutor because they were not following the law and jeopardizing the safety of citizens. They were not doing their job. And so it was a Soros prosecutor. Governor DeSantis removed them. And the ABA then gave that prosecutor an award. <laughs> so, you know, this is, a, this is an institution that ha- repeatedly, when you want to give them the benefit of the doubt, as if they are espousing, you know, the professionalism and, and the rule of law and that they are, again, I'm using air quotes, nonpartisan, they keep coming out under the direction of this new leadership and showing the direction that they are adamant to take. And the fact that many of these states rely on them to accredit their law schools really needs to be examined. Yes, and yes. we're going to do that here in Florida. I hope other states do that, too, because uh, under their leadership, it, it has become clear that they have an agenda that is uh, different than than what they were founded on, yep. and they are taking every opportunity to make that known. I mean, just like the governor did on the medical profession. Again, we have the same parallel problems. They control every vital profession and then control the arc of policy that flows from each one. And you have private organizations that are de facto elevated to, as to to public actors. And and the ABA largely. I mean, in some states, they they they're really empowered by the state judiciary. And, and that's a big problem, that people can't practice law without their approval, and that essentially means that you have to support their values. So I'm really glad that you're trying to take a state-based approach to 
I call it the, the state sanctuary movement, a sanctuary for liberty, sanctuary, sanctuary for constitutional rights, and sanctuary for security as well. Keep us posted on all these endeavors, uh, but certainly we have to make states, states strong and great again, uh, even as the federal government is doing their, their part. Well, thank you so much for highlighting these issues. Again, I think it's important to push back on those false narratives that so often get jammed down the throats of Americans. And I'm proud to be a part of helping you do that. So thank you for the invitation to join you today. Take care. We'll be in touch. So, folks, certainly very passionate there from Ashley Moody. And and look, I mean, obviously, these people in Florida, the cabinet is not like a selected thing. They're elected independent of the governor, but you see how the governor has set the tone and you have other people like that. We brought on Jimmy Patronis, who's the chief financial officer, and he's talking about his efforts to try to protect people from the uh, tyranny. So, you know, Ashley's talking about the um, anarchy side, the government-induced anarchy, and uh, then there's the tyranny side too. I just want to follow up on one point. I was talking about the OPT there. Again, paying for the rope to hang ourselves. So not only do we bring in these foreign students, but then there's a billion tax break that allows, this is from David North of the of Center for Immigration Studies. He, he posted this yesterday. A State Department-funded study released today shows increases in the number of foreign students by 12.4%, but masks the fact that American employ, employers are given a nearly $1 billion tax break for hiring recent alien alumni of U.S. colleges and universities rather than American grads. So we need to stop this subversion at all fronts. You know, look, obviously, you know my opinion. I don't think you need to ask the court's permission for states to deport. Um, But, I mean, we're not yet at the point where I could force people to do that, but it's going to get to that point very quickly. This is where it's at. Take Florida, magnify it times 10, and that's what we need to see that's the only solution. Even that's going to be very tough. Let me know your comments, questions, concerns, your questions about the Florida Attorney General. Till tomorrow, God bless you all, and thank you for listening.